You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. Last week we talked to Paul Stewart about housing. As I'm chatting with him there in Oswego and also on the podcast, I kept thinking about my friend Stephen Schultes. Stephen's one of these guys from Springfield, Massachusetts, who had a, a lot to teach me about a lot of things. And I know he's going to say that I've taught him some things. Yeah, whatever. Steve is one of these guys who has constantly challenged me. And as a founding member of Strong Towns has been very willing to stand up and say, you know, Chuck, um, I love you, but you, you got this one a little bit wrong. And today for schools week, uh, we're focusing on uh, schools here at Strong Towns. I thought I've got to circle back and have Steven on and chat again about public schools and the role that these have in our communities and, and kind of turn this conversation a little bit upside down again. So, Stephen, welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Uh, the, Thanks for having me, Chuck. It's three. Woo-hoo. Is this, our, this is our third time, time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, does that make you the most recurring guest? I, it might at this point. Oh, my goodness. I hope not. For no, your that, sake. that would be awesome. If I, if I am, get Andres Duani on like three times <laughs> and then make sure that, uh, you know, because you got you to keep up your reputation here. Charlie. You wrote something after I had Duani on. You had a little bit to say about something that Duani had said in the podcast that, that I had wholeheartedly agreed with, and I can't remember what it was at this point. Do you remember? Me neither. Okay. No, I can't. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, you know, I, one of the things, I write so much every week. Yeah. This may make me an egotist. Why even say maybe? I'm Dude, sure I am. join the club. I go back and I'll read something. I'll say, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> I agree. I really agree with this guy. Uh, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Can, can I? You know, it's like, oh, what a surprise. Uh, I agree with myself. <laughs> can That's I confess? Amazing. I, I got to confess something along those lines. Steve, you write at rationalurbanism.com. Fantastic site. I love it. I got to say, years ago, when I was running my own planning company, I had hired someone who is helping me write a comprehensive plan. And she sent me a draft of the introduction. And I said, ah, you know, it's just not, you know, it, it maybe touches all the bases, but it's just not, it doesn't have any punch to it. Like, I really don't like it. Try again. And she sent it back to me and I, I kind of gave her the same feedback. Like, I think you're getting closer, but it just doesn't, you know, it's too dry. It's just not, doesn't have any life to it. And then she sent me a third version back and I read it and I'm like, this is awesome. This is, this is great. This is exactly what I was looking for. And I called her up and, you know, I said, you know, I, I am just, I'm blown away by this. You really like reached deep and, and came up and this is, this is fantastic. And there was silence on the phone. And then she's like, you are such a jerk. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? I'm sorry. She goes, they're the last version. I just copied and pasted something you had written and sent it to you. <laughs> uh, and I did feel like a real jerk, but I'm like, oh, it was really, it was the best thing you wrote. <laughs> Didn't Emerson say that, that believing that what's true for you is true for all men and <laughs> is, is the soul of genius or something uh, like that? Maybe, so, maybe. You know, we're both geniuses in our own minds, right? Right. In our own mind, that that's all that matters. 
Speaking of school. Uh, yeah, I picked up my kids today. It was the first day of school here in the Brainerd School District. And I got one in the neighborhood school that is, is very close to home. Uh, she wanted to bike the first day, but it was pouring down rain. So I, I drove her and, and picked her up afterwards. The other one is in the uh, suburban campus school way outside of town. If you were to ask the typical parent here, which of these places is a, is a safer, better school environment? They would undoubtedly say that the shiny new school way out on the edge of town, not the one in the kind of struggling, difficult neighborhood. That kind of runs counter to your kind of long-held belief. I'd like to start out with a little bit talking about Springfield and where you live. Could you kind of set that up, and, and then we'll get into the, the school situation a little bit. I feel bad because now that I'm on the third time, some people are hearing this for the third time, but Springfield is... Can I tell you something about our audience? Yeah. Unless people have gone back and listened to episodes, which every now and then I'll have someone say, I've listened to, I went back and listened to every single episode. Our podcast audience is 10 times what it was the last time you were on. So, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So a little bit of repeating, it would not be a bad thing at this point. Hey, well, a little heads up on that would have been great, Chuck. I would have known to bring my A game. Um, oh, no. No, it's a, you know, Springfield is a post-industrial northeastern city that experienced tremendous amounts of white flight after desegregation and is now demographically almost 50% Hispanic, specifically Puerto Rican. And again, there's there's that whole issue that you and I have discussed, where Puerto Ricans as a group are are different from other Hispanics in the sense that they're not immigrants at all. They're American citizens. When they move from San Juan or Ponce to Springfield, it really is no different from you know you moving from Minneapolis to Buffalo. And so there's a difference in the way in which they, they look at their presence here, which I think is, is understandable. You know, if you were to move from Minneapolis to Buffalo, you know, and people in Buffalo start telling you you need to behave differently and that you should just be grateful to be here, you'd say, well, no, I've, for reasons that are my own, I've moved from one place in the country of which, you know, I am a citizen to another place in the country of which I am a citizen, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do for my reasons. I'm not, you know, if I want to be grateful to be an American, I can, but just like any other American, I don't have to be. I didn't have to go through anything any more difficult than getting on a plane and flying here. You know, it's my right to be here. So there's, there's that particular issue that I think is, is really significant. And I should say, you know, I'm a Spanish teacher. I, it's what I do. I do it in a suburb. There are things to discuss with that. But I think that, you know, that's, that's the city of Springfield. It's gone from a population of, you know, maybe 173,000 or 178,000, depending on what year you're looking at and the estimates, to a pretty solid, consistent 155,000 now for the last probably 15 or 20 years. Struggling. The downtown is actually now as pretty as it's ever been, but it's the storefronts aren't necessarily bursting with shops. Um, there's a lot of retail for the people who are here. There's some retail for the people that the people who are in charge wish were here, which is a topic I know we've discussed in the past. 
my particular neighborhood is uh, I'm on the edge of a historic district. I happen to live in a in a townhouse that I purchased from a couple of lawyers. They were ending their relationship, and next to me, uh, you know, on one side is offices, and then the next building over is another townhouse, but it's all apartments. And on the other side is a combination of of retail and commercial and apartments. And so it's a mixed use sort of building neighborhood right behind me. I'm looking right now at five story, you know, sort of walk up tenement, you know, uh, a lot of section eight housing in this neighborhood. My wife and I make, depending on the year, depending how, how well we do financially, you know, we make some somewhere around eight times to 10 times the median family income. And I'm a high school teacher and she works in insurance, not, you know, and doesn't make as much as I do. Right. So that's not a reflection on your earnings, right? <laughs> no, no, it's not right. It's a, although, you know, to the people that live in the neighborhood, right. I'm Bill Gates. So let's say I am moving to your part of the world from, from Minnesota and I'm going to look up the official statistics in your area, in your neighborhood. And I'm, I'm trying to discern like, what school I'm going to put my kids in. I'm a good Minnesotan. We value education very highly. I'm going to, you know, go to all the standardized testing and the free and reduced lunch. And I'm, I'm going to go through all the standard metrics that we kind of use here in my home state to say, you know, here's a school district doing great. Here's a school district that's struggling. What's the school district in your neighborhood going to look like in that type of a prism? You know, Chuck, I'm going to break it out, not just from my neighborhood, but the whole city. Okay, go for it. You're not, you're not going to move here if that's the case and you have a choice because you're, you're going to see those statistics and you're going to say, no way. I'm divorced. You know, my daughter, my older daughters went through the school system, got divorced. I got remarried and just so happens that my new bride had a uh, four-year-old who came here with us. Now, she lived in Middletown, Connecticut at the time, which is a, a beautiful small city, you know, just south of uh, Hartford. And she lived in a neighborhood right across the street, actually, from the, the poorest elementary school in Middletown. It's one that, you know, the people in Middletown kind of go, I don't know if you want to send your kids there kind of thing, right? So we looked at the demographics of that school and the demographics of what people in Springfield would say is like the sort of most affluent elementary school in Springfield. So kind of both ends of the spectrum. So like this small city in Connecticut, this, this one elementary school that's kind of looked at as the, the lowest performer. So we looked at the highest performers in Springfield, and uh, they're roughly equivalent. And then from there, it goes sort of down. The neighborhood school here, where my house is, where my daughters went to school, it's, you know, roughly, it's a well over 90%, might even be over 99% free and reduced price lunch. Um, it's a large population of students who don't speak English as a first language. Not that many, not as many as people would think. Most, most people that live here who are Puerto Rican, they speak English, but it's largely Hispanic. Uh, there's also a small uh, African-American population. But overall, if you look, like if you go to one of those websites on the net where you just put in, you know, tell me about the schools in Springfield, Mass., you're going to get bad reviews, bad scores. What you're going to be told is don't, don't move here. And what you're going to be told by realtors, that's a big thing. What you're going to be told by realtors is do you have kids? Are you going to send your kids to Catholic school? 
private school? No? Okay, well, then you can't live in Springfield. I mean, that's, I know, I know that happens. I've, I've actually tried to talk people into moving here. They've gone to realtors that I've recommended who know me and know my attitudes, and they've still said things like that. You wouldn't is the, the short answer. If you were, if you were just a normal middle class person who's just gonna, you're just gonna take what you're told. You're just going to say, oh, good school's here, bad school's there. Yeah, you're not going to move here. I know here in Minnesota, and this kind of gets back to the, the no child left behind stuff from a few years ago, which has changed quite a bit. But, you know, the idea would be here in Minnesota, if we had schools like this, we would go in and close them. I mean, we'd go out and close them and, and kick those teachers out and, and ship the kids somewhere else. And is that a policy response that, that you see there as well? Or is there a push for that kind of policy response? I would say overall that I'm going to talk about my experience here in Springfield. No, I think we're pretty good on education here in Massachusetts. You know, not perfect by any stretch, but I think, again, the people who've listened to the previous podcast have heard this before, but to new listeners, two of the three schools my older daughters attended were uh, considered failing schools. In the case of the high school, it was for a time the only failing school in all of Western Massachusetts. So by the, the No Child Left Behind metric, it was the worst school west of Worcester, period. Again, that was simply a reflection of the students that attended the school, um, not of the teachers, not even of the physical plant. It was just that the, the teachers that were at that school had a much more difficult population to work with and that manifested itself in lower than, not surprisingly, lower than average test scores, lower than average graduation rates. But my personal experience and my daughter's experience was not that. You know, where I like to go with this is that if you move to a city, and this is hard for me to say, a city like Springfield, this is my specific experience not in a city like Springfield, but in Springfield. Is it going to be the same in Rochester or Toledo or Duluth? And would those people be upset to be put in this category? I have no idea. But what I can say is that I know for a fact that I've been told that to live in a city like this and to send your children to schools like this is is not something that you should do if you care about your children. And my experience is that the schools are good. Some are great. Some are just good. But none of them are bad in the sense that people think they're bad, like that your child is going to go to school, come home one day from ninth grade, and not know how to read, you know, not know what the capital of the United States is, um, not understand basic arithmetic, you know, that kind of thing. My experience is, I don't want to get too much into this this time because I covered it, you know, so thoroughly and I've covered it so thoroughly before, but what the data simply shows is that schools and teachers have very little to do with student achievement. That people right now are throwing things at their computer or they're ripping off their earbuds, but yeah, those are important things once you get away from the house, the parents, and frankly, the, you know, the, the family income. Can we just pause here again and just reiterate? 
you are a teacher. Right, I'm a teacher. <laughs> you, you're, you're not saying this as someone who is outside of, you know, the school systems and, and you know, don't grasp how they work. Uh, you have kids in school. You are a teacher. You're saying this as someone with, you know, who values it, clearly values education. Right. And the, well, the other thing about this that to me, it just seems so ridiculous. Like even when people talk about magnet schools and charter schools, which I think we should talk about later, it's like it may very well be that some genius of of an executive, you know, founds a school and, and through sheer force of will, you know, recruits an amazing core of teachers, and that becomes the most amazing school in the world, and they can teach anybody, and they get the kids that no one else, you know, could get to achieve, to achieve. Okay, but how replicable is that? I mean, that's not, that's not a way to to formulate moving forward with the, with improving, you know, the nation's public schools. Again, I would liken that to the triangle offense of the Michael Jordan era. You know, it was genius, mainly because one of the three points in your triangle was Michael Jordan. Right. You know, <laughs> the, you know, you could have the rectangle offense. You could have the the the, the, the straight line offense. That right. Give the ball to Michael and get out of the way, please. Right. It makes up, makes up for a lot of mistakes other places. Right. Right. But then to, then to think that then what you do is you just, oh, look at how the Bulls have had this tremendous success. Let's just replicate that. Well, you, you can't. If a school is this amazing school because some kind of amazing charismatic person has put together this dream team of educators, well, that's great. That's fantastic. And I, and I hope as many kids as possible can go to that school and, and get that experience. But that, it's not really helping in terms of the overall system. But what I am trying to say is that overall, what the data shows is that your child is likely to achieve whatever academic success they're going to achieve, whether they attend a school where the other students in the school achieve at low levels, medium levels, or high levels. Now, you can see an impact of high-level learners in very low schools, but even that, it, again, it's, it's not a case where uh, a student who otherwise would have gone to Harvard ends up dropping out of school you know, and becoming a drug runner. It's a case where there's probably some kind of you know, there can be negative impacts in terms of how much curriculum a teacher can get through if there are discipline problems in the classroom, et cetera. You know, but it's really negligible. And I would say, and this to me would be the most important thing that I've learned while, you know, now having taken two and a half children sort of through the, you know, an urban public school system that people would describe as struggling or even bad. And it is that each child is different. Every school is different. Every grade is different. Parents are different. And it's possible to do, but you have to be thoughtful. And I think you probably ought to be thoughtful even if you're sending your kids to the bright, shiny suburban school. But I think the bright, shiny suburban school, which, by the way, is how I would describe where I teach, parents would be well advised, actually, to do the same thing there. It's just they don't think they need to. They, they kind of think that, you know, you buy the nice suburban home in the really wealthy community and all of the kids that walk into the school in the morning seem to look, you know, polished. So you kind of think, my job's done. I'm going to focus on other stuff. 
no parent that's sending kids to the Springfield Public Schools thinks, okay, well, they're in, they're in school now. Nothing bad could ever happen. No influence could ever, you know, engage them to go in a, in a bad direction. You know, people that send their kids to city schools know that there are things out there of which they ought to be aware. And I think that they're therefore more aware. I'm going to go ahead and be ignorant as a way to allow you to to correct me. You know, I, I find this to be very healthy with you too, because like I say, you, there are many, many times where I take something for granted and, and you have kind of shown me a different way to look at things. Did you ever watch the show The Wire? Only a little bit okay. because everyone, all of my suburban friends always told me I needed to watch it because basically Baltimore was just Springfield. This was the prism that they understood your life through. Right. right. And so, no, I have to admit, I never have, even though I've heard from everyone, it's great. It actually is fantastic. And the story and the narrative and the acting and the, the, the it's, it's beautiful, like all the way around in, in an agonizing kind of way. But one of the seasons uh, had a very sharp focus on the education system. It was very painful to watch the depiction of children who had very difficult, you know, home life coming to school, uh, with other kids who, you know, were similarly had challenges and being thrown into a classroom that was not very well adapted to their life situation. And again, I'll, I'll say there's this Minnesotan part of me. Uh, Johnny Sanfilippo said, you know, when there's a tragedy, you Minnesotans want to, you know, send them uh, hot dishes and stuff. And like, yeah, it's true. Like there was this Minnesota part of me that said, oh my gosh, like, how can we fix this? And, you know, is there some kind of thing we should be doing here uh, in places like this? Because you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ask you to react to it, but I, but I am going to ask you to react to this notion that children are coming to school unprepared with very difficult home lives, how does that affect the learning environment and the other students there and, and kind of the difficulty of them getting the most out of that experience? Because that's what I think a lot of parents like me or like my wife would fear in putting our kids in the situation that you've described. Wow, this, that's great, actually, because that's exactly where I'd like to go. If you start out, and not everyone would, but if you start out in kindergarten, what you realize is that a five-year-old or a six-year-old is a five-year-old or a six-year-old, whether you are in Baltimore, Springfield, or your Brand X suburb. They're cute. They have bright eyes. They want to learn. And even the parents who might sometimes, you know, when you look at them, and, and you cast judgment on them from a real sort of white middle-class perspective, like I would bring. Like here, I would say the experience that my daughters, plural, have all had is that their kindergarten teacher was exactly the same kind of kindergarten teacher that you would expect anyone to have anywhere. That sort of nice, bubbly, happy teacher helping these kids go from where they are to someplace better. The problem with these schools isn't, it just simply isn't academic. Now, when I say that, I have no experience with Detroit or Baltimore or Los Angeles, you know, these, these, these huge cities where perhaps the experience is very different. 
Here, here's what I know. If you talk to people around here that have no experience actually with Springfield and the city schools, they would say to you that the Springfield Public Schools and Springfield High Schools are just like any of the worst things you've ever seen in the most graphic movies or TV shows you've ever seen when it comes to high schools. And it's ridiculous. I mean, I have no idea if it's accurate in the way that they portray schools in Chicago or whatever. You know what I mean? That's just way beyond my ken. It is, and I'm just going to admit it. But I do know this. People think that's what it's like here, and it's ridiculous. My daughter, my older daughters, they were in commerce. It was, I think, my older daughter's senior year and Mackenzie's sophomore year. And they came home, and I could tell that they were, there was something that they wanted to tell me. They're like, Dad, we saw a fight. <laughs> and I said, don't you see fights every day? Right. I mean, right? Fights. Right. Right. Is that right. what you do? <laughs> and I'm like, I remember I was teaching in a, in a suburban community, not the same one I teach at now. I grew up breaking up like three fights in a week. And my daughters had never seen a fight in high school. And it was my older daughter's senior year. Now, my daughter's had to go through, and here's, you know, we could talk about different levels of ridiculousness. My daughters had to go through a metal detector every day. You can't keep weapons out of prisons. You're going to keep weapons out of a high school that was built in the 19-teens with, you know, dozens and dozens of windows and dozens of entrances and, you know, all the different kids coming in. And then we could get to the inherent bias in the, in the system where, it, when my daughters went through, they always knew that they could bring their cell phone if they wanted to, because even if the backpack went off in the metal detector, they always got waved through anyway. Whereas if you were a black kid or Puerto Rican, your bag got inspected by hand. But my daughters just got waved through. I mean, that was just something they experienced all the time, every day. If a kid wants to get a gun into a school, which, first of all, they don't do, I mean... I don't think I've ever heard of a shooting like in a school, like in a classroom, even in an urban public school. That's an interesting, I mean, you know, somebody right now would be saying, well, that's ridiculous. They happens all the time in LA or something like that. But I think when you think about the kind of school shootings that you always hear about, not one of them, this I've actually done, I've written about, not one of those sort of randomly, I'm going to go in and shoot up the school has ever happened in a majority minority school. You know, a kid might go in and shoot another kid. Uh, that's never happened here that I know of, like in school where a kid got a gun through a metal detector. But if they wanted to, they could. But the message you send, and this is where I wanted to go, the message you send is this is a dangerous school. You're going to the type of school that needs a metal detector. That's all that does. It, does, it doesn't actually keep weapons out of the school. The kids are smart. They want to get a weapon in the school, they can. All, all it does is tell all the kids, this is the kind of school that needs a metal detector. Uh, you know. and, and again, I'm not saying this as someone who's disinterested. You know, My daughters attended that school, but I did not feel that they were made safer by the presence of a metal detector, but it did send the message to everyone, I'm going to the kind of school that needs a metal detector. And while I feel like I'm, I'm kind of going scattershot here, if I could, that's, to me, one of the biggest problems with magnet systems and, like, suburban, uh, you know, sort of suburban choice systems. 
even if you take a school system, let's say one that's smaller than Springfield, Hartford, where you have 20, 21,000 kids, and you can take 2,000 kids and put them into the choice program. Okay, well, even if you assume that now those 2,000 kids are, like, rescued because they're now going to better schools in these suburban towns, what are you saying to the 18,000 kids who are left? Sorry, we couldn't get you on the lifeboat, so you're here on the Titanic because, you know, you really should have gotten off. And, you know, the other problem with those programs is it doesn't take – they don't take random kids. They take the kids whose parents take the time to investigate what the options are and take advantage of the options and are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to get the kid to the place the kid needs to get to to go to the out-of-town school. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And, and the data shows – and, you know, if you – and I know you're a Freakonomics fan, so I know you read this. What the data shows is that, yes, the kids who go to suburban schools in these choice programs do better than the average kid in the average urban school, but they don't do better than the other kids who were, for example, in the lottery if there was a lottery. Because it isn't the school. It's the fact that the parents and the children were so uh, viewed education as so important that they were willing to go through the process that actually shows you that this is a child who's more likely to achieve. So, th- so that to me is when I look at those things and those programs, while if you're a parent, and that's a different thing, because uh, I'd like to tackle this from a different angle, but I think overall in terms of justice and things like that, I don't think it's necessarily right. The data shows I would recommend reign of error. It just shows that public schools aren't bad. Public schools are not doing a poor job. The society at large is struggling. There are more children who live in poverty, et cetera, and that's difficult for the schools to deal with. But there's a lot out there in, uh, in terms of propaganda to make people believe that it's just sort of common knowledge that you know public schools, especially public schools in cities, aren't good. What would you say to other parents? This is where I want to go. Here's exactly what I'd say, Chuck. If you are a person, and this is, it's important to me to understand what I am, what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying, you know, if you're a parent who lives in a traditional suburb and you send your kid to a traditional suburban school, you're a bad person or a bad parent. Good for you. Go for it. Enjoy it. What I'm saying is I'm someone who just wanted to live in a city. Specifically, I wanted to live in my hometown. It's this thing that I have that it's, I feel a patriotism for my hometown that's akin to what, you know, patriotic Americans feel for America. They, they care about it. They want to be a part of it. That's how I feel about my city. So I wanted to live here. So I focused on making the experience here for my daughters the, the best that it could be. And what I'm interested in doing is finding people like me who want to live in a city. Because they want to. Because it's, again, if you have enough money to live in Cambridge, Mass., or if you can live in a really nice neighborhood in Manhattan where everybody agrees that, you know, the public school in that neighborhood is fantastic, or San Francisco or something like that, that's, you understand these are not the people that I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who 
would be urban pioneers who would move into these struggling communities, but they say, I'd love to do it. I want to be one of those people that makes a difference, but I don't want my children to have to suffer because of it. Okay, I'm on board with you, and I understand, and I think your concerns are legitimate. I just think that overall the concerns that people have aren't the actual concerns that when you're in it, you realize are the ones that need to be dealt with. So, one, I would say overall, my experience is you have nothing to worry about when it comes to academics. If you are in a school district where you stick out, okay, because, again, in Springfield, we're not talking about a place that's gentrifying. We're not talking about a place where the percentage of white students or, or middle class students or even wealthy students is increasing. You're probably talking about a district where actually all those numbers are still probably in decline. So I think a, a gentrifying school district is probably a different place that has different concerns. But here, the issues still are not going to be academic. Your child probably looks a lot like the teachers that your child is going to have. And so the teachers, the administrators are going to pay special attention to your son, to your daughter. They're going to make sure, probably, and again, I'm not saying this is right, but I'm saying that this is my experience, that your child is going to have the best experience they can possibly have. They, they sometimes look at you and wonder why your child goes to this school, you know, why you aren't taking advantage of different opportunities, but the fact is they look out for your kid. Academically, your child will grow and progress. Teachers will seek out opportunities to enhance their learning. This is what teachers do. They know how to differentiate. The problems are going to be social. The problems are going to be with, are going to have to do with interacting socially with parents outside the school, uh, with parents inside the school, with uh, children and things like playing after school, play dates because there can be such a disparity in life, life expectations and behaviors between your child and the other children that it, it could really be a problem. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example. You know, one school that my daughters attended, the, there was no functioning PTO, really. The PTO president was a parent, but she was also an employee of the school, and so they used that technicality to make her the PTO president, and no parents ever came to the PTO meetings. Well, my wife became the PTO president and started to do a little bit more work to get more parents to come. So the one white mom with the one white kid in the school is the president of the PTO and doesn't speak Spanish. I, I, it wasn't poorly received, but you could understand why people were a little bit skeptical and, and why it was very different. Like, I remember... One of the very first things that we did, we looked at the fundraisers, and we were saying this is a school, you know, this is a school that's in a neighborhood where the median family income is around $14,000, and we're running fundraisers by having these kids sell, I'm sure, the same kind of overpriced holiday wrapping paper and yeah, yeah. cans of nuts. right. And, and things like that, <laughs> that they sell at every other school. But you're like, yeah, but for a family around here... Right. No one's going to, no one's going to afford that. No one's going to pay yeah, for that. Right. But they, but they do. Yeah. But they shouldn't. Right. So, so my wife and I were like, we're not doing that anymore. Right. We're not doing that anymore. And it caused an uproar. How, we're not doing this anymore. We're like, no, we're trying to extract 
money from these families to pay for, you know, to pay for these things in the classroom? Shouldn't the PTO have a different role in a neighborhood like this? And the fact is, as logical as that may have seemed, it, you know, it wasn't appreciated. What was appreciated was going back to the status quo, even though to us the status quo seemed ridiculous. Because, I mean, we, we could see it in our family. You know, with daughter goes to see her grandma. You know, grandma's buying $50 worth of stuff, whether she should or not. But, you know, there's a difference between a grandma who's, you know, who's living off her dead husband's, you know, pension from the post office and a grandma who barely has enough money to feed herself. The, the advice that I would give parents who are in my shoes and who want to do this and want to try it is step one, look at the school system. How do they assign children to schools? Is it a neighborhood system? Is it a choice system? Are there magnet schools? Is, is there a hybrid of some sort of those? Look at the places you're, you're interested in living and see what schools your child is likely to attend. Then start talking to people, but m most importantly, y you and I both know there are just people who are negative, and negative people tend to be more outspoken. Y you need to see, and I'm not just saying, you know, keep asking questions about the local schools until you find someone who has something nice to say, but what I'm saying is think about the quality or the qualities of the people that you're talking to. Try and find someone that's, that overall is optimistic and positive in terms of the neighborhood and talk to them about the school and see what they say. And then you've got to get in the school. You've got to go visit. You've got to get inside and you've got to talk to the leadership and you've got to see what the classrooms look like. And my experience is, again, my experience here is that that always happens. You are always welcome. It can tell you a lot. It doesn't tell you everything. Uh, like a great example of something that's paradoxical. Like you would think that a school that has an incredible leader, a fantastic leader, is, is just the kind of thing you're looking for. That's the school I want to go to. Yeah, this looks like a good idea. This principle is amazing. But I've seen situations where that can be one of the worst decisions you can make because sometimes schools like that, are really run by that one person, and if that one person leaves, they have established absolutely no structure below them to maintain it after they've left, and it falls apart, and you'd be better off at a school where the leader maybe doesn't seem as charismatic and maybe isn't as charismatic, but overall it seems to work anyway. If I may be forgiven because I'm actually a, a La Liga guy, I'm not a Premier League guy when it comes to soccer, but the perfect example of this is Manchester United. There, they had this coach who's probably the greatest coach of all time named Sir Alex Ferguson. And a lot of people thought, hey, you know, this Manchester United club is a dynamo. Well, he left, and that club's been a basket case ever since until maybe this last season. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Or you're talking about, say, like a kid who – who's choosing a school for, you know, NCAA basketball, and he chooses a particular school because of a particular charismatic coach, and then after his freshman year, that coach leaves. You've got to watch out for that, too. I mean, I mean, it is great. I've been at these schools 
with these charismatic principles, and I could name them, and they were fantastic, uh, but there was one particular case where that was the case, and then she was gone, and, and it had a negative impact on the school. You know, so you have to do your homework, and then you also have to be prepared to constantly get feedback from your child on how they're progressing. And I would say another thing that you really ought to do in, in a situation like ours is make sure that your child has other outlets for social interaction. My daughters have had experience, Chuck, with kids coming over for playdates and saying things like, you have food? And saying, well, what floor do you live on? And then having, you know, having us say, well, we live on all of them. The whole house is ours, you know. Who do you share your room with? Oh, this is just my room. And we've also had experiences where at the end of a play date, taking a child home to public housing, where it was clear that that child's parent was um, not fully, it certainly seemed as though she was on drugs. You know, and yet you're dropping off this seven-year-old. Like, you know, here you go, and what do you do? Those are experiences that are difficult to, to deal with. And also, as a parent, your children, and I'm sure this is true no matter where, you know, no matter where your kids go to school, your children choose friends whose parents you might not select as your friends. In a situation like this, the, the stakes can be really high. I mean, you know, there are kids who go to schools in a city like this where their everyday life is something, you know, that to me is like something from the wire. It is fairly easy, honestly, when your kids aren't in school, to kind of avoid all of that, to not be involved in that, even if it's going on right across the street or in the next building or whatever. But... You know, when, you, you know, your kid has a play date with, you know, another kid, and, yeah, you've done your best, you know, to you know, due diligence, as it were, but it, it turns out that, wow, that was, that was, they were different than I expected, you know? That's the kind of story that would freak my wife out. Yet, I will say, like, my, uh, my oldest has gone to sleepovers with a bunch of girls, and these are all professional families and, you know, two parent households and the whole thing. Um, but she'll come home and she'll say, Hey, you know, I, I don't want to go back there. Well, why? And you kind of get out of her like, you know, the house wasn't clean <laughs> in the same way that like my wife and I keep the house clean. As you're talking, I'm picturing in my house that brownstone up the street from you that I just love that cute little street, you know, by Dr. Seuss's park there. The reason I'm picturing is because I can see myself living there. I can see myself living in your community. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I can see us going up and getting a sandwich at that sandwich shop together and, and going to the little, you know, Italian bakery and buying things that were a third the price they should be <laughs> and, you know, becoming total gluttons. And I can see me living in that place, but I, I can hear like my wife in the back of my head saying, I would never put my kids in that neighborhood. I would never allow my children to live in that neighborhood. Yet, I know we have very similar cases, if not worse, you know, more difficult cases in the really nice polished school district that, that we go to. 
Well, that's what I was saying before, where I think that when you're in a community like this, you pay attention to those things because you're aware that that certain things are really possible. I think, like, when you look at statistics, for example, that show that drug use is actually higher in the suburbs than it is in the cities among high school students. And yet a lot of kid, a lot of parents who send their kids to the, you know, the beautiful school and the, you know, in the edge of, uh, of their suburban community surrounded by, you know, woods and everything, they don't take that possibility seriously. I, I really think that one of the benefits of going to a city school is it's never the case. No one, not a single parent in the Springfield Public Schools ever thinks, well, I don't think my children will ever be, you know, will ever have anyone approach them about using drugs. You know, and I think a lot of suburban parents do. I'm stressing, I wouldn't say I'm stressing the negative here, but I'm trying to stress the practical, that the challenges aren't academic for your child. They may very well be social. They don't necessarily have to be. And the thing is, I would say for someone like you, for example, Chuck, because I know that um, you're religious, I think having, having a child having a church community that they can go to can be really helpful for sort of the, having that outside of school interaction, summer camps, you know, church groups, dance lessons, music lessons, especially if it's a group thing, like with, you know, like a choir or something. Those are, those are hugely important because those, those can provide the social outlets if, if the school doesn't. I realize that right now there may be a lot of people saying, well, why, why would you do this to your child? Overall, I think it's good for children to see that there are other ways of living, that there are other attitudes that people can have toward life. I also think that as children get older, because I'm more focused now on the elementary school-like age, but as you start getting to middle school and high school, the truth is children self-sort. They start seeing and understanding more. They tar- start taking social cues, I think, much better, you know, which in some ways can be a bad thing because, you know, they're being more judgmental. I think they become more aware of things like class and race. And again, be it good or bad, I found that actually at the middle school level and at the high school level, you know, kids do start to self-sort. One of the things I see in suburban Connecticut is that you get a lot of people who uh, in a panic, move away from either Hartford or Springfield to get their kids into a suburban school system because, you know, because of the friends their kids are hanging out with. And the kids come to the suburban school and immediately find the biggest troublemakers in the school. Because it's not, because, you know, the parents can never accept, it's not the friends. You know, your your son or daughter is the friend that other parents are fretting about. And in all of these cases, your child is with those kids because that's where they want to be. And, and, and again, without some, it can, it can be, I don't know, the attitude of the parents, maybe not. It's just the personality of the child. Um, and that's another thing, Chuck, that I, I wanted to mention that I think is hugely important here when it comes to, again, if you're the kind of person who wants to be an urban pioneer, you've got kids, you're thinking about doing this, you've, you've looked at the way, uh, students are assigned to schools. You've looked at particular schools. You're comfortable with the way that certain schools run, and you do that. 
uh, I think, you know, a thing to understand is, you know, it goes, you take it on a year by year basis. And also, you know, I've, I've come to realize that it's really hard for me. It would be impossible for me to just say to someone, yes, I would recommend this. Oh, don't do that. Even in a situation like the city of Springfield, where I feel like I know it really well. And I hope you don't mind. I'm a teacher. So I'm going to kind of explain this by talking about something that seems completely unconnected. This summer, my wife and I, uh, for various reasons, my mom uh, passed away in April, and we spent all summer kind of getting, trying to get the house ready so that, uh, you know, we could, you know, affect sort of, you know, moving things here and there. And so we, we weren't able this summer to, like, take the big family vacation, you know, a week or a week and a half. So we thought, well, let's do a staycation. Let's, let's take a short trip. And I decided, I kind of did, it was really kind of creepy, I wrote about it on the blog, um, I decided to kind of go around the Northeast to all the various places where my favorite uh, podcasters live or talk about. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever listened to the Sea Realm podcast. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's one, it's one I like when it doesn't get too woo. Well, you, and, you uh, recommended it to me, so I've been, you know, I've been listening to it on your recommendation, essentially. Oh, well, great. See, there you go. And so he recommended this movie theater in Bellows Falls, Vermont. My wife and I went up there. We watched uh, The Wizard of Oz. It was like $5. It was awesome. We stayed at a bed and breakfast up there. And then we drove through the town where the World Made by Hand series is set and where Jim Kunstler lives. And then went to Troy, New York. You know, the town that Duncan Crary has always talked about whether it was on the Kunstler cast or in everything else he's done. And here's the thing I wanted to say that I think connects to what I'm trying to express. Every time I'd ever heard Duncan talk about Troy, I'd always pictured it as this town that was like just a lot like Springfield, you know, this down and out northeastern sort of struggling place. And we go there and we stay in this Airbnb thing. It's the first time we've ever done that. I mean, you know, I'm in my 50s, so Airbnb is a little bit, you know, cutting edge. But we did it, stayed at this beautiful townhouse. And Troy, New York, to me, looks a lot more like Northampton, which around here is kind of the boutique city, than it does like Springfield. I mean, yeah, there are some poor people and there are some, you know, some homes on the edge of certain communities that, you know, look like they could be fixed up. But Overall, it looked a lot more like Northampton than Springfield or Holyoke. And then I kind of realized, you know, to, to Duncan, who I think is kind of a private school guy, you know, I'm sorry, I think, I think he went to like a, a private prep school, you know, like, I don't know, like a Choate or Phillips Exeter or something like that. You know, I think to him, that looks like <laughs> the, a, the hood, a struggling right? yeah. urban place. Oh, yeah. You know. Whereas to me, you know, it looked like hipster heaven. You know, there were just nice restaurants everywhere. There was a wine bar and, you know, never once felt intimidated. As a matter of fact, my wife and I laughed. We went and saw something happen. Something funny happened on the way to the forum at like their community theater. And on the way out, we didn't realize it till afterwards. We basically got hustled for, uh, for money. But it was the first time ever. I think we can ever remember being hustled for money by a guy like wearing a cardigan <laughs> and, you know, with, yeah. with like, a, yeah. you know, right. You know, and he seemed like someone who had been at the theater and we were just, you know, he seemed, 
you know, in terms of in his affect, he just seemed so urbane. Sure. It was only afterwards that we realized, like, I looked at my wife and I said, did you just give him $5? She's like, yeah, I thought that's, he needed money <laughs> for the bus. And I'm not sure what happened. It's like, $5? You've never given anyone to $5 in our neighborhood. You know, and it was like, it was such a different place. But, you know, I was born and raised in Springfield. I'm not trying to make up like a log cabin story here, you know, where, oh, poor Steve or whatever. No, but the truth is I come from a working class background. You know, my dad worked for the post office. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I went to public school. My expectations aren't, you know, Phillips Exeter, you know, or that kind of Deerfield Academy kind of experience. I don't have that. And so I think that if you're that kind of person, then, yeah, what I'm talking about is, is not going to seem acceptable to you. But then you're not the person I'm talking to, you know, that I, I get that. I'm, I'm a, a middle-class guy who cares a lot about learning and education. And, you know, as I, as, again, on the last podcast, you heard my older daughter, after going to the Springfield Public Schools, earned the most generous scholarship that Smith College um, offers. And Smith College is one of the top liberal arts schools in the country. My younger daughter graduated from the same school. And she went to Salem State University here in Massachusetts on the Abigail Adams Scholarship, and she graduated magna cum laude with a double major. So they were both successful. They both went to nothing but Springfield Public Schools. They went to two out of three schools that were considered failing or underperforming, but their experiences were fantastic overall, academically. And socially, the truth is, they fluctuated. Sometimes Shayla had a lot of friends and Mackenzie didn't. Sometimes Mackenzie had a lot of friends and Shayla didn't. And I don't know if that related directly to the specific schools they were in at the specific times or the personality of the children or whatever. But the one thing that I would add that I think is significant is by doing what, what I've been doing, I've lived very inexpensively. And that's afforded me the opportunity to take my children to Europe and travel for a year. It, the opportunity for my stepdaughter to take any lessons she wants, any classes she wants, anything she wants to supplement um, her life experience, partly because I can afford it because, and, and this may sound crass, but I think it's an important part of the equation. I'm not spending, I'm not only not spending $3,000 a month for housing, I'm not spending $2,000 a month on housing. I'm not spending $1,000 a month on housing. You know, and my mortgage is a 15-year mortgage. I'm, you know, I'm spending in the hundreds on mortgage, property taxes, and insurance. And that leaves a lot of disposable income for experiences for your child. And you put that together with the fact that your child will also grow up in, in a life experience where they know that um, there's a long way to fall if you fall economically. And they also learn to appreciate, I think in the long run, things like, you know, the ability to buy all the food that you want when you're hungry, the, the ability to 
to purchase the clothes that you want when you want clothes. Because in this neighborhood and in this city, there are people for whom those things are luxuries. One of my oldest, oldest daughter's best friends, you know, I would just say that her best friend's life situation was about as awful as you can imagine in terms of how she was raised and the experiences that she had. And, you know, my daughter understands that there, there are people who, while she had to deal, for example, with the divorce of her parents, you know, that was nothing compared to, you know, the life experiences of children who've, who've you know, lost parents through violence or, or uh, you know, have parents who are uh, drug addicted, in prison, whatever. You need to ask yourself, if you want to be an urban pioneer, do you, do you really believe in it? And if so, uh, do you trust your children enough to be a part of it? And do you trust yourself enough to be engaged enough in their education to make correct decisions? Because you do need to be engaged. You need to look, hey, is there a magnet school that would serve my, my child's needs better if I live in this neighborhood instead of that neighborhood? And it's, you know, I only have to move a little. Would that be better off? Would my child be better off? I mean, you know what I'm saying, Chuck? This is not a one-size-fits-all thing, and it's not. I'm not trying to be Pollyanna. Oh, it's fine. Just send your kids to the city schools. They're just as good as the suburban schools. I think sometimes they are. I think sometimes they're even better. I think, you know, anyone who's interested in that argument should listen to the previous um, podcast because we got a lot more into that. But I think this time I wanted to talk a lot more about the nuts and bolts, you know, and, and I think those are the nuts and bolts. Stephen Schultes, the website is rationalurbanism.com. I can't recommend it enough. It's one that I, uh, I frequent. This is your third time. I, I feel like we could do this every like three or four months and get a lot out of it. Uh, you know, I'm always willing <laughs> to participate. And if you give me the opportunity to get a word in, uh, then I'll take the time to talk. <laughs> At some point here in the future, we're going to reverse this and you're going to ask me some questions. Okay. I'd do that too. All right, my friend. I would love to do that. I know you would. And you know what? You know why I, I would like to do that? Because you would ask me tough questions. <laughs> uh, the question is, would I shut up long enough to let you answer? Oh, you would do fine. You take care. Say hi to your uh, your wife for me. Hey, I will, Chuck. All right. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care, everyone. We need your help. If you think the strong town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.